Mark 12:30 ready go the You know, I thought y'all were good, but y'all are really, really, really good. So through this priority series, God spoke to me about something, and I am turning off my cell phone, canceling it, getting rid of it on the next few weeks. And if you need me, you can always call the church or email me at any time. Uh, you know, pastors didn't have cell phones in the 90s or the 80s or any time before that either. And, um, and one of the reasons is, is because before the church was, was the size it is now, I used to do financial counseling for people, and I love doing it because I'm great with numbers, great with money. And... Um, and so I looked the other day, a few months ago, because I get hundreds of calls, you know, from people asking for money. And I looked the other day at, um, on, on, on Google, and I, my phone number is listed on like 20 websites where it says, if you need money, call, you know, 843-251. And so I thought, I just got to gotta cut some of this stuff back. And so um, today's sermon is going to help those people who call because I'm not going to do any more financial counseling. Last week, we talked about time management. Today, in part 10, for your notes, we're going to talk about money management. Yes, this is everybody's favorite subject in church. People beg, oh, can I please go to a church where they talk about money? You found it. <laughs> now, we don't even pass a plate here, and so we're not interested in your money, but it's a very important part of your destiny. You will never fulfill your God-given destiny if you do not fulfill God's financial plan for your life. You'll never be the husband or wife you need to be if you cannot manage money well for your family. And I don't want to be sexist, but men, no woman wants to marry a man who cannot handle money. We don't care. It doesn't matter if you make $8 an hour or $80 an hour. You need to be able to handle whatever you have going on in life. Um, you'll never be the parent you're supposed to be if you can't handle money well, because kids cost everything. <laughs> everything. Um, you won't be a good witness for Jesus if you're having to ask people for money. Call your relatives, I need money for this. Go fund me, Paige, I need money for that. That's just not healthy at all. Now... To, to fulfill your destiny, you need money. You need money. And the reason I, I personally think it is so easy to manage money God's way is because it is the only um, topic in the world that is the same no matter where you're at. No matter where you're at on planet Earth, 2 plus 2 always equals 4. If you have 10 and you want to buy something that's 11, you can't buy it. <laughs> it's very easy to manage money, I think. Uh, people think that Jesus, when he was on earth, that he had no money, he was poor. That's not true at all. The Bible says he was poor in spirit, he was humble, but financially speaking, his ministry was so financially successful, he had to have a treasurer with him everywhere he went. Think about that. And here's what's sad. The dude that was his treasurer, the one area that destroyed his entire destiny was he couldn't handle money. He ended up killing himself, Judas, of course. Okay, there's 2,000 scriptures in the Bible about money. 2,000, 2,000 of them. Um, Matthew chapter 6 teaches us God's dream for our life financially. And here's God's dream for your life financially. That you never, ever, ever, ever have to worry or think about money. That is God's dream for your life. Now, that doesn't mean you need a lot more money for that to happen. You need the right heart for that to happen. I know millionaires. I actually have a friend. He's a multi-multi-millionaire. He can't sleep at night because he's thinking about money. 
I have another friend that makes like $12, $13 an hour. He's a faithful tither. He loves God. He never worries about money. So it has nothing to do with how much money you have. It's a heart issue. And I want to prove to you it's a heart issue before we get into our three points, okay? Mark 12, 30, it's our memory verse. It says, love the Lord your God with all your what? Now, do you believe this scripture is true, yes or no? Does it say heart, yes or no? Okay, so that is the best, the number one command. Love the Lord your God with all your, it doesn't say your toe or your thumb or your ear. It says your, okay, Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart because everything in life flows out of your heart. Every problem you have, every time you see a counselor, every time you need help, it's a heart issue from you. Okay? Romans 10, 9, salvation. Believe in your heart that Christ is the dead, you will be saved. Salvation is a heart issue. Do you see this on the screen? Do you understand salvation is a heart issue? Here's the problem, Jeremiah 17, 9, your heart deceives you. Have you ever said the phrase, well, you don't know me, I have a good heart. Or, you know, she, she's got a good heart. Have you ever said something like that? You don't know their heart, you don't even know your own heart. So how can we tell if our heart really is in the kingdom of God if our heart deceives us? Here's how, and Jesus said it, Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure, your riches, your wealth is, that's where your heart can be found. In other words, anytime you hear a church, uh, assuming that the preacher is a balanced speaker like I believe we are here, but um, anytime you hear a sermon on money, it's not about money, it's about your heart. So if you don't have money or you're not managing it well, it is not a money problem. It has nothing to do with money. It has everything to do with your heart. It's very important to understand. When someone calls you and they need money, a relative or whatever's going on, it's always a heart issue. And you got to find the root of it. And this is what I help people do when they have money problems. They think they need more money. No, they just have something going on inside their heart. So according to the scriptures we just read, if Jesus is not Lord over your money, he is not Lord over your heart. You have to understand this. Let me just put it like this. Okay, oh Lord, I surrender my life to you. I trust you with my life. Save me, Jesus, and protect my children. And I trust you with everything. What about your money? Not that, but everything else is yours, God. Money, no, that's mine. I'll do that my way. Don't get involved in that. But my whole life is yours. That's what it's like. Now, if you live in America and you don't have money, you got major heart problems. Because America, the, the total combined household income of America is more prosperous than four-fifths of the entire world. That's, that's eight-tenths. That is 80% of the world. We're more prosperous than them. And um, also, I was thinking, you know, because people call me all the time, need money for this, I need money for that. And, um, you know, I need money for um, my electric bill. And I said, well, how much beer do you buy? I don't know, just a case a day. Okay, you don't need money for electric bill. You're asking me money for beer. <laughs> If you didn't do that, you could pay your electric bill. But if you think about this, you go to Coastal Grand Mall. If you walk into Coastal Grand Mall, every single person in the mall has money. Nobody drives to the mall that don't have any money. Nobody. And listen, the people, they're not all Christians, too, by the way. There's atheists. There's, there's, there's Buddhists, Muslims. There's red, yellow, black, and white. There's people that do not speak English in our country, and they have money. So if you don't have money, it's, it's, a really, it's a really big issue, okay? I wanted to show you some um, numbers. These are very, very recent numbers. Um, the total combined average income in America right now is $70,000 a year. But you may make $30,000 a year. Just stay with me for a minute. In Germany, it's $52,000. Israel is $49,000. In France, it's $43,000. Poland is $16,000. Mexico is $9,000. Ukraine is $4,000 a year. India is 2,000, Cambodia is 1,500, Sudan is 670, Afghanistan is $500 a year. Listen, you're blessed. 
you're extremely blessed. And if you live in Market Common, the number's like 10 times more. I'm just kidding. Anyway, um, so there's two reasons you don't have money if you live in America. Only two reasons, okay, before we get into our three points is this. It's either a circumstantial, situational problem or poverty, or it is relative poverty, okay? Let me teach you what that means. Relative poverty is when you call me up and you say, man, I need money, but you're calling me from the latest iPhone. And I say, well, meet me down the street, and you drive up in a Lexus or an SUV or something. I don't have any money. No, you don't have any wisdom. You got money. You just have no smarts going on up here. And see, I can help you with that. I'm really good at helping people with that. The other reason people don't have money is circumstantial. In other words, somebody got cancer. And, and, and all the money's going to pay for that. Or uh, someone lost their job all of a sudden. Or there was a death in the family and you didn't expect it. You need money for, for the funeral, things like that. Now, here's what I want to teach you today. Even in the circumstantial situational issues, when you've been honoring God financially, he'll even take care of that. You won't even have to ask money for people for that. So, you know, when someone comes to me and I do all the financial stuff and make sure they're saved first, because it's no use me helping anybody unless they're saved. Then when I show them what the Bible says, if you're not going to do what the Bible says financially, there's nothing I can do for you. I could give you a million dollars and you'll lose it and you'll still have problems and you'll still be stressed out financially because you're not doing it God's way. Okay? So I'm going to teach you God's way to get your money in order and manage it well. So point number one for your notes, if you're ready, say, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Point number one is this, you got to work hard. You got to be hard, you lazy bum. You better get yourself a J-O-B. Genesis 2.15 says, God put the man in the garden to work and to keep it. A lot of people, I don't know why they don't read their Bible and they think, well, work is part of the curse. No, no, no. Work was before sin entered the world. It's before sin. And just so you know, when you get to heaven, you're going to be working for all of eternity. You're going to have a job in heaven. The Bible says how faithful you are with the little things on earth determines the position you have in heaven. In fact, one scripture says God's going to need governors to govern cities in heaven. That means there'll be politicians in heaven. God can do anything. If he can do that, he can do anything. <laughs> so work is in heaven. Uh, what the curse did do is curse brought stress into the workplace. It brought an ungrateful attitude for the job that you just don't like into the workplace. It brought um, a lack of excellence into the workplace. That's what the curse of sin actually did. And if you're one of those people that say, oh, man, I just hate my job because I work around all these non-Christians, you need to listen. You are a paid evangelist. God put you in a place that is, there's no better place you could be. You could be the reason these people go to heaven and not hell, and you're getting paid to work there. You should be thanking God. You should be bringing your Bible and praying on the way to work. God, thank you for giving me this evangelistic anointing, ministering to people at work. You know, one time Peter could not pay for his taxes. He needed some money. So like we all do, Jesus, I need some money. It says in Matthew 17, 27, Jesus told him, Go cast a line into the lake and take the first fish that hooks. Open its mouth, you'll find money. There was a gold coin in the fish's mouth. Why didn't Jesus say, Peter, put your hand in your pocket and I'm going to make a gold coin appear. Why didn't he, why did he say, I need you to go fishing? It's a principle. See, the job's not the source. The money's not the source. Working hard because God says so, he's the source. He can take your $8 an hour job and give you $80,000 if that's your destiny and you're honoring him. Now, I'm going to ask you a math question, okay? This is really tough. If you went to Socasty, you can get out a pen and paper and maybe take, you know, write it down and add and so what is more? What is greater? $8 an hour or $0 an hour? 
Okay, I'm just making sure you understood that, okay? Listen, if you don't have a job today and you need money, you should have a job by tomorrow. I don't care if you were making 100000 a year and you got fired. You can make $8 an hour tomorrow. Because Here's why. God can reward that. He can't reward no job, right? Okay, Proverbs 10.4 says this. Um, being lazy makes you poor, but hard work will make you rich. You know when somebody like you know, your relative or somebody, GoFundMe, pay, when they're asking you for money, you know what they're asking? They're asking you to work for them. They're saying, hey, this hard work you're doing, the way you're honoring God, you give me what God gave you for working while I sit back and just watch you do it. They're very, very, very sad. So I get about 100 calls a year right now on average asking for money. And um, with every one, I say the same thing I say. Hey, meet me at church. I'll pay you $8 an hour cash. The first hour or two, we'll go over some math, and I'll teach you how to handle money and which way you should do the money. And, all. and I said, then after that, I'll pay you to work at church, $8 an hour. You know, only one out of every 100 people actually shows up. They're not looking for work. They're just looking for for money, which can God reward? A job that you don't like or a job that you don't have? I mean, I know they don't treat you right. Oh, poor me. And not making the money I deserve to be making. So you want to make $0 an hour? Is that what you deserve? Because if you don't have the job you have, that's what you're going to be making. Second, <laughs> am I being too hard on y'all? Y'all, everybody's in here is like, we got a job. Don't preach to us anymore. We're done. Second Thessalonians 3.10. Remember what we commanded you. If you don't work, you shouldn't eat. Anything great in life requires hard work. If you want an education, you got to work hard. If you want good relationships, you got to work hard. If you want to be healthy and strong, you got to be disciplined and work hard. Now, I want to just point this out. None of the scriptures that we read today said you have to have a job. Okay? I realize that there are people who are handicapped. There are people who are retired. There are people who are so wealthy, they don't need a job. They all, them said you have a job. They all said you have to work hard. My 94-year-old grandma, my nana that's still alive, she still writes letters every single week. She'll even highlight the points in her letters that she, and she's so old, I can't even read her handwriting. It's like she's writing in tongues. I can't even read her handwriting, you know, but she's working. She's doing something, okay? I don't care what's happened to you in your life. I don't care what excuse you have. You can still work hard. There's something you can do every day besides sit at home and play Xbox and watch Walking Dead. Or whatever you watch. I don't know what you watch, but stop watching it. Okay, so um, I'll tell you this. This is a true story. It's real funny. A pastor friend of mine, he's older now, but when he first started, he was preaching at a little country church, you know, and uh, he had just started preaching. Didn't have a lot of wisdom, but he loved his job. Um, the town drunk came into his church, and the town drunk was a homeless guy. Everybody knew him, and he, um, he just recently got sober. So he comes to church, and he wants to give his life to Jesus, and he does. He gets saved. And, um, and so the pastor, he goes over to the pastor after church, and he says, I just got saved, now what do I do? And the pastor says, um, I don't know, you just need to read the Bible. So the pastor gives the man his own personal Bible, which is a very special gift. So the guy leaves, he comes back next week, and uh, the pastor says to him, is life better? Is everything better? He said, no, I don't have anything. Life is horrible. The pastor said, well, have you been reading the Bible? And the guy said, yeah, I read the Bible. The pastor said, what do you read? He said, well, I needed a job, so I read the book of Job. He said, it didn't encourage me at all. It made everything worse in life, you know. Boils on my skin. My wife leaves me. My tongue, you know, all these other things. True story. I thought that was funny. Okay, so there's two ladies in the Bible, Naomi and Ruth. They both had a circumstantial situation that occurred in their life 
that caused them to all of a sudden be extremely poor. Okay, both, and it was the same thing. Both of their husbands died. Ruth and Naomi, both of them lost their husbands. They were devastated. Their whole world's turned upside down, and um, they handled it different from each other. Okay, I want to read you how they both handled it. Naomi, it says in Ruth 1, here's how she handled this horrible situation. She went to Moab to find somebody else to provide for her. I went through a horrible thing. I don't know what I'd do. You know, my neck hurts. This person did me wrong. I got fired. I've had the job for 20 years. I lost everything in my 401k. Who can I find to provide for me because of this horrible thing I've gone through? And here's what she said. It's all God's fault. He dealt me a bitter blow. I have nothing left but the clothes on my back. She wasn't looking for a job. She wasn't looking for work. She was looking for someone to take care of her. Okay? Ruth went through the exact same problem, and she handled her thing a little bit different. In Ruth chapter 2, it says this. Each day, Ruth picked up the leftover grain in a field from early morning until late, except when she sat for a little while in the field. Ruth worked hard. She, she barely even took a break. And it wasn't one of those smoke breaks that you get you know, more than everybody else. I think I'm going to take up smoking so I can have more breaks than everybody else at work. <laughs> y'all know y'all thought that before, hadn't you? Man, they get like five more breaks than me on that Marlboro Reds. Okay, so uh, two single ladies, right? Two single ladies both went through a horrible situation. Um, God is always looking to bless his children, okay? The second you step into a biblical principle, God is right there to reward you and bless you. Two ladies, same problem. One was looking for help. One was looking for work. Ruth, who was looking for work, um, the owner of the field that she was gathering grain from started to notice her. His name was Boaz. He's rich. He's godly. He owns all this land. And he looked at her and he thought, man, there's something about this woman I like. So he asked all of his workers to intentionally leave grain on the ground a lot so that Ruth could have more and more and more every single day. Finally, in Ruth 2, verse 10, they meet. She said, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should be so good to me? Boaz answered, I've been made fully aware of everything you've done since the death of your husband. He was attracted to her work ethic. He was attracted to the fact, and listen, this represents God. God was attracted to the fact that even though she went through a horrible situation, that was no excuse to sit at home and eat ice cream and watch Matlock or whatever you sad people watch at night. She decided to go out and work. Now, here's what's so great. Ruth 4.13 says, Boaz married Ruth. She became so rich, she never had to have a job again. Now, I'm sure she still worked on, she still was a hard worker, but Boaz, now listen, if you want a Boaz, you can't be a lazy ass, you can't be a Poaz, you can't be a dumb ass, you can't be a broke ass. <laughs> Even if you got a big ass, you got to get out there and work it. Okay. Sorry ass. Number two is this. Probably too much. I probably should have. You know what I just realized, too? I just realized that our camera guy who usually films the first service where I watch myself, he was late and he's filming the second service right now. Now I'm sweating so bad. Okay, point number two for your notes. You got to tithe faithfully, okay? Now, you might have a background, whatever it is, Catholicism, or uh, you haven't, you know, you just got saved. And so the tithe is, is, this is God's way to honor him. 
The tithe is the first 10% of our gross income. It does not belong to us, the Bible says. The first 10% always belongs to God. That's why you'll never see in the Bible to give tithes. It always says bring them. You can't give something that's not yours. You can only bring it where the owner tells you to bring it, okay? Malachi 3, 6 through 12. Will a man rob God? Because it's his. Yet you rob me. How, you ask? You withhold your tithes and offerings. So you're under a curse. You're under, and if there's any area of your life that you don't want to be under a curse, it's money. Because that affects everything. It affects your spouse, your children, your home, your car, everything. You've robbed me, so bring, not give, bring your full tithe, the whole tenth of your income, into the storehouse that there can be food in the house. Put me to the test, says the Lord, and you will see that I will open up the windows of heaven. The only two places that phrase is in the whole Bible is here and concerning Noah's Ark when it rained for the first time. Open the windows of heaven. Pour out on you in abundance all kind of good things. And if you call right now, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. And people will talk about how blessed you. It goes on and on and on and on and on. Okay. There's a difference between robbing and stealing. Stealing is when you, you, you take and they didn't know you did it. They were not around. When you rob someone, they're right there in the midst. Years ago, I was doing financial counseling with a guy and I'm up here at this building. He met me on Monday morning. He was such a nice guy. And, you know, I always, I'm, I'm incredibly, I just give myself away too quickly. I, 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 don't, I don't read people well, but I thought this guy was like the greatest Christian man in the world. He was just so kind and we got along so well. And um, so he's working, for, I did the financial counseling and then now he's working for me $8 an hour. And he's homeless. He's living in this car. Every three or four hours, he's like, I got I to gotta run an errand. And I thought, where does a homeless guy got to run an errand? Like, what? what's he going to go pay his you know, electric bill? Like, what's he going to do? And so, um, so he'd leave, and then he'd come back an hour later, and we'd work some more. And then, he, and then it happened Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, all day. I show up here Thursday night for music practice, and I start looking around the church, and there's a bunch of stuff missing. Computers are missing. There's amplifiers missing, um, iPads are missing, instruments. And I thought, my first thought was, you know, Trisha works hard. Maybe she took everything home to clean everything. I don't know what she's doing. She didn't know where it was at. Turns out every three or four hours, while I'm paying him, while I'm serving him, while I'm eating lunch with him, he's robbing me right in front of my eyes, going to different pawn shops all around Myrtle Beach and selling our stuff. I know, that's what I thought too. Shoot him in his kneecap. And so, now y'all would never, because y'all are such amazing Christian angels, y'all would never allow us to give to you and serve you and feed you. And while you're in our midst, you rob us. You would never do that, would you? The Bible says that's what you do every single time you get paid and you do anything besides bring that first 10%, you've actually robbed your church family. You've robbed the very people that are serving you. And, and see, 10% is so amazing because it's the same thing. No matter how much you make, it's the same sacrifice. It's the exact same. It's amazing how God did it. Um, abundance. You know, every tither has the same testimony. Every non-tither has the same testimony. Every tither says, I am so blessed. I am so blessed. I have everything I need, everything I want. God just keeps blessing me. Every non-tither, every non-tither says the same thing. Man, stuff just keeps happening. 
this stops working and this happened here and this happened where and I feel like I'm never going to get ahead and it has nothing to do with money it's a hard issue and the people that I see that start tithing and serving man God blesses them the second they stop they lose it here's why they've decided to go from being under a blessing to being under a curse and, and, and a lot of Christians are like, well, how can we be under a curse if we're saved? You know, Jesus broke the curse of sin, da, da, da. He did, but we live in a fallen world. If you eat Twinkies for lunch, breakfast, and dinner, your body, even though you're saved, is going to be cursed, right? If you're in a relationship where you're having sex inside of marriage on a regular basis with no repentance, that relationship is cursed. Like, there's nothing, like, you can beg and plead and pray, please, God. You're, you're choosing to live under a curse. Okay, your money is under a curse when you don't honor God. Now, here's another thing I want to teach you. It says test. In the Bible, numbers mean things. The number three always represents Trinity. Number seven always represents God's completion, finished product. The number five always represents grace in the Bible. I could go on, there's a bunch of them. Number 10 always represents test. Always, always, always. The tithe is a tenth. God is always, every time you pay, testing you to see who are you going to thank for the ability to work and the ability to be creative and the ability to have which and the and the fact that you live in America who are you gonna thank every time it's a test every time so I want to just show you how the number 10 means test okay so stay with me how many plagues were there in Egypt how many there were 10 now, I realize some of y'all went to soccer in the high school um, we're talking about the number 10 okay we're talking about the number 10 and really this was God testing Pharaoh's heart he tested his heart 10 times okay how many commandments were given to Charlton Heston Seven. very good some of y'all eh. numbers 14 how many times did God test Israel in the wilderness Seven. the answer's pretty easy okay how many times were Jacob's wages changed now see what God was doing was because you know Jacob was working hard and his boss was so mean and deceitful and kept changing his wages but God was testing Jacob to say your boss isn't the source see me as the source you honor me and do it my way I don't care what your boss does to you I'll get you where you need to be okay how many days was Daniel tested how many versions were tested in Matthew 25 how many days of testing are there in Revelation how many disciples were there there's 12 I was testing you and you just failed See, I, thought I'd, I thought I'd taught y'all, is this thing even on? I thought I'd taught y'all better than that. Okay, here's the, here's, the, here's the, greatest, the greatest point I could ever make on tithing, okay? Passing the financial test allows you to have everything you're supposed to have. Now, see, I'm just kidding. Some of you, 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 have, you have no idea what you're supposed to have because you're not under the blessing. Hey, let me say it this way. I, would you rather... You know, like, do you ever play Would You Rather with your kids? No, we do? Okay, well, anyway, it's a fun game. Would you rather, um, you know, it's like, would you rather eat, throw up, or would you rather pick up a French fry off the ground? And Anyway, it's a fun game. Again, second service, what am I doing? Um, would you rather live in a mansion that's under a curse or in a one-bedroom apartment that has God's blessing? Would you rather drive a Pinto with God's blessing or a Lexus that has a curse on it now let me turn it around okay let me just let me just give you another perspective would you rather make $15 an hour or would you rather have the fact that God's been waiting and waiting and waiting to bless you with a job where you're making hundred thousand dollars a year and you own the own company but you just won't trust him with the tithe of $15 an hour 
See, you'll never know what God has for you. How can you, how can you go one more day and not want to know what God has for you financially until you trust him with the tithe? Man, pass the test. Um, true story, okay? During World War II, this young soldier, he was in a library in Florida. He was reading this book one day all alone, and he noticed these handwritten notes in the margin. He could tell they were, you know, written by a female, and uh, they were very thoughtful and heartwarming comments on the book that he enjoyed. So he turned to the front of the book, and it just so happened the book's previous owner, her name and address was in the book. Her name was Holly, and she lived in New York City. So he thought, you know, I'll just I'll write her a letter and introduce myself and um, tell her, you know, he told her I'm about to be shipped off to Europe overseas, and um, I invite you, here's my address, maybe we can correspond back and forth about this book that I'm reading that you obviously liked as well. Much to his surprise, he received a letter in return. For the next 13 months, they wrote back and forth again and again, getting closer and closer, and they were actually falling in love even though they had never seen each other. A year and a half later, he was coming home, and he just happened to be coming home through New York City. It was their big opportunity to meet. They planned on, you know, hanging out, seeing each other for the first time, and going to a nice dinner. Her last letter said this, I'll be waiting for you when you get off the ship. You'll know it's me by the pink rose that I'll be wearing. Man, sailing back across the ocean, he was so excited, so nervous all at the same time. He finally arrived. He stepped off the ship. It was the big moment. This beautiful young lady came walking toward him. Man, she took his breath away. He said how she was so gorgeous. Her features were perfect. She looked like a movie star. He couldn't believe what he was seeing. He was so taken back by her beauty, he didn't realize she wasn't wearing a pink rose. She passed on by. He finally came back down to earth. About that time, this 60-year-old woman walked up to him. He said she wasn't that attractive, and she had gray hair, and it just so happened she was wearing the pink rose. He was so disappointed, but he didn't want to show it, so he walked up to her, big smile. He saluted her, shook her hand. He said, hello, ma'am, you must be Holly. It's an honor to meet you. Can I please take you to a nice dinner? The older lady said, son, I don't know what's going on around here, but that young lady who just passed by you told me to wear this pink rose. She said, if you're kind enough to invite me to dinner, I'm supposed to tell you that she'll be waiting for you in the restaurant across the street. <laughs> Listen, pass the test, because you don't know what could be in your future, so you better pass the test, okay? Okay, last point, and then we're done. Number three is this. you got to spend wisely. Man, spend your money wisely. Hebrews 12, 11 says, discipline at the time seems painful. Afterwards, it gives back peaceable fruit. To me, to me, it is so easy to live within your means when you're a tither because then God speaks to you about your money. What's he going to say to you if you're stealing from him, if you're robbing him? What's he going to say? Tithe. I don't want to do that, but tell me, God, should I buy this car or this car? You mean with the money you just robbed from me? The money you just, you know, it's, it'd be like working at, even if you're doing something good, you're working at Walmart and you see somebody that just really is in need and so you give them $10 and your boss says, that was so nice and you just give them $10. And they said, no, 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 I, I took it out the register and I gave them $10. <laughs> well, that was a good deed, but you stole from me to do it, right? That's what, no matter, what, I don't care how good of a deed you do when you don't bring the first 10%, you're robbing God. So how is he going to speak to you about your finances? What's he going to say? 
right? Okay, you might not, you, you already know this. I'm preaching to the choir, but let me just put it on the screen anyway. The first is the tithe. Always tithe as soon as you get paid. Second is your rent, your mortgage. Uh, third is groceries. Then fourth is car, insurance, gas. Five is phone, utilities. And if you don't have any money left over after this, you'll be okay. You live in Myrtle Beach. You're going to be okay, okay? Now, don't go to the 501 Walmart and get groceries, but, and you'll be okay, okay? Go somewhere over here on this side. Yeah, they, they, they're very poor at 501 Walmart because they, they don't even have any clothes. They walk in there without any clothes on, so they really need money. Okay, let me give you my tithing testimony, and then, then we're done. Um, I was 20 years old, uh, married, uh, 20 years old, married, and um, two kids. And um, got our first house. It was a $95,000 home. And um, it was the smallest house in the neighborhood. Over here in Sox City, the smallest house. It was like 850 square feet. I mean, the master bathroom had a stand-up shower. That's how you know, in one sink. You know, that was the bathroom. And, uh, but it was everything we needed. We were fine. Uh, I was working at churches because I was really good at it. And I was playing the piano at restaurants and stuff like that. Um, but I was asked, you know, are we tithing? And uh, I wasn't saved at the time. I was working in church, but I was not saved. And I was like, yeah, of course, of course we're tithing, of course we're tithing. But stuff just kept happening. You know, like the dishwasher would break, the car would get a flat tire. We only had one car, it was a three-cylinder Metro, right? It, it, and it shook, when you got over 40 miles an hour, it would shake. And I actually had a suspended license, so, so my kid's mom, she was driving herself to the hospital to have a baby, you know? And I'm like, you can breathe, you'll be okay. And stuff just kept happening. It was just a horrible, horrible time. I was asked again, are you tithing? And um, I was like, yeah, 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 we're tithing, but just bad stuff can happen. Finally, I was at Walmart, not the 5011. I'm too holy for that. And um, I had one child in one arm, a mother child in the buggy, and um, I was just buying the bare necessities, you know, diapers, formula wipes, milk, eggs, bread, cheese. Like, that's just, you know, just the bare necessities. And it takes a lot to embarrass me. I mean, I listen, <laughs> I, I, I never get embarrassed. I do dumb stuff all the time and don't get embarrassed. But when you're at Walmart and you got a line of people behind you and one kid's crying and one's in diapers and all of a sudden the lady says, your card's not working, that's embarrassing. And you got to whisper and you got to say, um, can you put back one of the diapers? You know, can you put that back? And she tries again, still not working. Um, okay. Maybe the milk. We don't need the milk. We'll be, we can drink water. You know, we'll be okay. Put that back. And after two or three things, my card went through. And I was getting paid on Sunday morning. And um, I remember thinking, you know what? I don't have any. I don't have enough. I don't have enough. So I don't have enough now. So I'm going to tithe. If I don't have enough now, I'm not going to have enough then. I might as well try it and see what happens. And I wasn't even saved. And let me just tell you, the biblical principles in the Bible, they're for everybody. I mean, the, the way we live, the way we talk. I mean, even if you study what the Bible says, just about the way you speak, it's for everyone. His principles will work no matter what. So I tithed that Sunday. I thought, we're not going to make it. Like, we're not going to have enough. I didn't get paid anymore. I didn't get a raise. But we made it that week. I said, okay. I tithed the second week. We made it that week. I tithed the third week. Now, do you know from that day until this very day, not one time in my life have I ever worried or thought about money ever again. I mean, I walked in, I didn't even make any more money for years. My salary didn't go up. I even had a third child. Salary didn't move. 
and we were okay. In fact, um, in 2003, um, Eli was born, and you know our little 850 square foot home was just, you know, you could hear somebody crying the whole whole house. And so I, I was driving on the bypass, and I just felt like, and God had been trying to reach me for years through everything you could imagine. I mean, just, you know, there's a. I was telling somebody the other day, there's the, you know that poem, Footprints in the Sand. There's a poem I used in a sermon once called Butt Prints in the Sand. It's where God's dragging you along, you know, like that. That's my whole life. That's my whole life is God doing that. Still not saved. And, and I felt like God said, pull into, you know, God will speak to unbelievers too, by the way. God talked to Pharaoh. He talked to Saul before he became Paul. He'll speak to you. And so he told me to pull into this neighborhood where they were building new homes. It's the neighborhood I actually live in now. This is 2003. And uh, they had a model home. And they said, you know, here's the homes that we're going to build. And there was a, a five-bedroom home that you get for 150000 And the house we lived in, we bought for ninety-five, but it was already worth one twenty-five, And I had a higher interest rate. So when I got approved for this, if I could sell this house and put down 25000 and my interest rate was lower, my payments were the exact same thing in $150,000. You understand the math-wise, right? Now, that was a lot, but the payments were the same thing. Interest rate lower, more money to put down, same thing. So it all worked out, and they said, okay, you just need to put down $1,000, and it's yours. I only had like three or $400 in the bank. We had never had $1,000 in the bank. That was unheard of to us. Never had $1,000 in the bank. I thought, I did all this work. God opened up this door. I knew this was for my family, and now the whole thing's just not going to happen. That day, that day, I leave the neighborhood. That day, I go home, and I check the mail, and there's a letter in the mailbox from this old Jamaican guy that I went on a mission trip with years before. He's like 50 years older than me. He sent a card in the mail with a $1,000 check. He said, God told me weeks ago you were about to make an investment into your family. I want to be the first person to sow the seed in your life. That, listen, I could tell you a hundred more stories like that. My whole life has been like that to this day. My whole life. Our church tithes. We send 10% out to mission everything. You know, when we needed, we said, we need a new building. In three months, y'all gave a million dollars. A million dollars in three months. In three months. It has nothing to do with money. It has everything to do with heart. Proverbs 17, 16, there's no use for money in the hand of a fool who refuses to learn godly wisdom and has no common sense. So let me encourage you. Work hard, tithe faithfully, and spend wisely. Amen.